This week's episode of The Get Back Coach is presented by the band Mellifilis. Go check out their new EP, Just High Enough, anywhere you stream music. On this week's episode of The Get Back Coach, presented by Branded Sports, we get breaking news that Clemson and Florida State might want to join the SEC. We take a look at what a Big 12 AAC merger might look like and how the SEC can help Texas. We then go into the playoff where we rank the most depressing losses for college football fan bases in the last 20 years. And we read shared stories from our fans about when they first felt pain as a college football fan. All that and a lot more. All right, let's get after it. Welcome back to the Get Back Coach presented by Branded Sports. I'm your host, Jake Myers. And this just in, Clemson and Florida State are apparently trying to get in to the SEC. If this is true, if this has merit to it, the Big Ten powers are going to then try and get it. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan, probably Penn State are going to then try and get into the SEC. And then it will no longer be the SEC. It will just be, I, I, I don't know, we, we always say about you know the, the Big Ten, the Big 12, um, just call it big. I know that's the nickname of the Big Ten, but still, just call it big, the big conference. I mean, you're, you're going to be – if Florida State and Clemson go in, there's no doubt Ohio State's going to want to get in. And then Michigan, along with that, uh, I think Penn State will try and make that move. And then who knows? USC, I would say probably USC to cap it off. And now you have this big, giant football division. Now – if we're just going to do this for football, if everyone got on the same page and everyone said, okay, we understand football is the giant moneymaker, even more so than basketball, that in football we're going to create this giant super conference and then in everything else we'll, we'll stay out. So, for example uh, – you know, Ohio State, Michigan will stay in the Big Ten. Florida State, Clemson stay in the ACC. Um, hell, you can even say Texas and Oklahoma, you can go back to the Big 12 and play basketball. I doubt that happens. But still, I if you're going to do this for football, Vandy and the Mississippi schools need to get out. Missouri needs to get out. Send them packing. Kick them out. Because you're going to be bringing in, if you want to make the super conference that you want to make with the SEC, you got to kick out the Mississippi schools and you got to kick out Mizzou and you got to kick out Vandy. Kick them out. And you're going to replace them with Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, USC. There you go. There's your super conference. I mean, just brand wise, that's the best thing I think you can do. Um, West Coast with USC is going to be tough. I mean, um, no or Notre Dame. But, again, I doubt Notre Dame does this because they love being independent. They love owning NBC. Uh, you know, people were trying to get in the conference for the longest time. Maybe this could get them in. I don't know. But if you're going to make a super conference, you got to get you got to trim the fat. Trim the fat out of the SEC. Replace it with better brands, better programs. Um, Again, it's supposedly a reliable source. We don't know too much about it right now. Uh, There's going to be more. Probably by the time 
this episode drops on which it will be Tuesday morning. We'll have more information on it. Um, but to move on, the Big 12 and AAC might be planning for a merger. And honestly, I don't hate it. I like it. Think about it. Think about it, guys. Um, you're going to have uh, one conference being saved. And you're going to have another conference that wants to play with the big boys. And now we'll finally get that chance. Okay? But if the merger takes place... You will have 19 teams because at first the AAC said that, or sorry, the Big 12 commissioner, Bob uh, Bowlesby, said that three to five AAC teams are going to want to come over to the Big 12. Now it's looking like the the AAC and the Big 12 are going to actually combine. So that will give you 19 teams. But who's the 20th? Well, if they're going to go 20, it's going to be broken down into pods that uh, the SEC um, kind of showed that they were going to propose. So this this would be the pods if the AAC and the Big 12 were going to have a merger. Uh, the Texas or Southwest Division, Texas Tech, TCU, SMU, Baylor, Houston. The Midwest would be Oklahoma State, Tulsa, Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa State. The Southeast Memphis, ECU, UCF, USF, Tulane, and then in the north, Cincy, West Virginia, Temple, and Navy. But now we need to hit one more. We need one more in the north. Well, who can do that? Well, there's a couple teams that I was thinking about. Um, First one, Army. Have Army join the conference, Armies with Navy. Not bad, but I mean – Army's been a decent uh, – for years, they were kind of the lesser teams of the military academies. Now, I think they're probably the best one right now. But I don't know. Do you really want Army in there? Maybe not. That may not get you the boost you need. Another one that comes to mind is Marshall. You already have West Virginia. What about taking the other uh, bigger football program in there uh, with Marshall? I don't think – even though that would be a nice fit, I don't think that works because West Virginia won't allow it to happen. See, the Big 12 wants the West Virginia to be happy so they don't try and go to the, the ACC. If was if Marshall joins or tries to join, West Virginia is going to try and shut that down. They like being the premier, um, premier college football, actually the premier athletic program in their state, and a Marshall being added to that is only going to hurt them in recruiting or only can hurt them in recruiting. It, it's not going to help. Um, so I doubt that's going to happen. They'll take go to West Virginia's favor. I think the best and absolute fit is App State. App State is been has been great since they made the jump to FBS. They have been very good in the Sun Belt. They are not afraid to play bigger competition, and they do usually do pretty well against it. Always very competitive. Put them in. It's going to help them. And you're going to have a, a one of the better group of five teams in your conference, and you'll put them in the north. I think that would be for the best. If you kind of want to even them out a little bit, um, put App State in the southeast, and you can move ECU to the north if you want to. Um, I think that is the best and most likely fit here. The best of them all, but will not happen, is UConn going back to the AAC. Um, UConn would have been perfect. Old Big East team, used to playing West Virginians, you know, Cincinnati. Um, or sorry, used to they're used to playing West Virginia from the Big East days. Um, also in the AAC, they're used to playing Temple and Cincinnati as well. But they look at them as a lost cause, their whole athletic department that UConn has suffered. And remember, UConn, what, went to the Fiesta Bowl 
um, what, 2011? I mean, what, 10 years ago, they're in the Fiesta Bowl, Big East champs, and now they're just awful. They're an independent, and their athletic director looks at their football program as pretty much damaged goods. So if so they leave because they want to preserve their basketball history. Basketball is the breadwinner for UConn. So they want to stay in the Big East for that. They couldn't do that when they're in the AAC. So how do they help their best basketball program? They go back to the Big East. So they start playing the St. John's, Georgetown, Villanova. You know, they can play all those teams like the good old days. They don't care. They don't care about football. Football's second to them. They, 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 it's like they gave up on it. So they really don't care. Um, they rather see UConn struggle as an independent and just be a terrible program than try and make them better in the AAC at the expense of their basketball teams also joining the AAC. So even though I think that'd be a more perfect pick than App State, I just don't think it's very likely. Um, and again, you, you're not going to replace Oklahoma and Texas with this, but you will give some credibility with some of those top AAC teams. Okay. Memphis, UCF, Houston isn't bad. Cincinnati. Okay. And you're going to save the big 12. I mean, it's one of those things where, again, you're not going to replace with Texas and Oklahoma. You're not going to fill those shoes, but it's still a power five conference. And the winner of that conference will at least be treated with some respect. And honestly, this conference right here is better than the Pac-12 right now. And I firmly believe that. Um, so the next thing we're going to talk about is Texas. And I'm hard on Texas. I know I am. But... This whole narrative that Oklahoma is going to be the fourth best team in the SEC and Texas um, is going to is going to be six and six, seven and five, I think is so Southern SEC bias. It is unbelievable. Right now, Oklahoma, I think, has one of the best chances to win a national title this year. I firmly believe that. Defensively, they have a lot of production on their defense and experience coming back. I think the only team better than them is Alabama. Um, I think Clemson's close. I think Ohio State is close. But I think Oklahoma is your second-best team in the country, and I firmly believe that they can beat Oklahoma. Or, sorry, they can beat Alabama if given the opportunity. Um, So right there – Oklahoma is going to be just fine. Texas, they have struggled. I understand that. But Sugar Bowl a couple years ago, Texas beat Georgia. I mean, it's still Texas. You're still going to get a good team there. On top of that, it unlocks not just for Oklahoma. Listen, Oklahoma is going to benefit here too because it's going to unlock the the Southeast region of this country that is a hotbed for college football talent. So now I I think the big losers here might be your Missouri's. I think Missouri's the big loser here. I think Texas A&M is going to hurt a little bit. And I I think your, your Mississippi schools, your lesser SEC teams are going to struggle. A little bit more because you have better programs, better brands coming in and saying, hey, um, you know, you can come to Oklahoma, a better program than, you know, most of the SEC, if not probably the second best program in the SEC. And your parents are still going to be able to watch you because we're going to come to Mississippi twice a year or we're going to come to, you know, Alabama, Auburn. It will be in the area. 
Your parents can see you play. It's going to unlock that. Uh, let me remind you guys what happened with Texas A&M. This is the same thing that people were saying about Texas A&M. And their whole brand has shifted. And I can't be the only one that thinks that. Texas A&M was a solid team in the Big 12. Once in a while, they'll have nine wins. Okay? They're Texas's little brother for the brother for the most part. I mean, look, look at this. Okay? The last – I'm just going to have to find my stats here for one second. Um, okay, the last nine seasons in the Big 12 – Texas A&M won 58 games in their last nine seasons in the Big 12. How many – they've been in the SEC nine seasons. How many wins do you think they have? I'll give you guys a couple minutes to ponder this. How many wins do you think Texas A&M has in the last nine years or in the last nine seasons in the SEC? 77. I did the math twice because I didn't believe it. They have 77 wins in the last nine years. They have almost 20 more wins, 19 more wins than they did in, in the nine-year span in, from, their, from their last nine years in the Big 12 from their first nine years in the SEC. How does that happen? Because they will say the same thing, oh, Texas A&M, what do they bring to the table? Yeah, they have a nice field, they have a good fan base, you know, they have a great crowd, but, but come on, they're going to be terrible. They're not going to be good in the SEC. They're going to be a middle road team. It unlocked the southeast hotbed recruiting trails. Texas A&M also does a killing in, the, in New Jersey. Now, you can credit this to Jimbo Fisher because they made that switch from Kevin Sumlin and then um, – Ah, shoot, I forget that there was a coach in the middle there um, that took over. But then when ultimately went to Jimbo, Jimbo's getting guys from New Jersey. Okay, he's taking recruits away from those Northeast teams in New Jersey, which is a very good state for football. But he's also getting those guys from the Southeast on top of the guys from Texas and Oklahoma. Texas A&M has completely rebranded itself. Yes, I understand. They're a top 25 team every year. Once in a while, they'll break the top eight. I think they've broken the top eight two or three times in the last nine years. But as a brand, I feel like they are more – they're looked at more as a power now than they were in the Big 12. And I know there are other people to thank. I mentioned Jimbo Fisher. Johnny Manziel had a lot to do with that. Um, But – these, this whole program, the best thing that this program did was go to the SEC. Now, it might hurt now that Texas and Oklahoma are joining because it might take some recruits away from them. But you cannot tell me that in a couple of years we're going to be looking at Texas better than we look at Texas A&M now. If you asked random people, or not random people, but random college football fans, they will tell you if you say, okay, who do you think is a better program in the last 10 years, Texas or Texas A&M, or the last five years, Texas or Texas A&M. Everyone's going to say Texas A&M, and and they're probably right. But you can't tell me that if Texas does the same approach, that they won't be handled like how Texas A&M is handled. And I know Texas A&M is in Georgia, but – they're all, they're pretty close with Florida. They're, you know, besides a national title, they're pretty close with LSU. They're there. They're up there. Out of the top five teams in the SEC, Texas A&M is in that. You cannot tell me Texas and Oklahoma, especially, I mean, we know Oklahoma's good, but you can't tell me Texas can't crack that too. If Texas A&M can do it, I'm sure Texas can too. And if Texas can't, and if this is the worst thing, so if we look back here and think, man, the worst thing Texas has ever done is join the SEC because of competition, I find I find that hard to believe. But if that is the case, maybe Texas football really is dead.
All right. We have a special playoff that we're going to get into. Okay. Let's switch gears and get after it. All right. This week's playoff is most depressing losses for a college football fan base in the last 20 years. But before we do that, we asked our fans to share their experiences the first time they ever felt pain as a college football fan. So before we get into the playoff, let's go back in time into the pit of misery and check out what our fans are saying was the most depressing moments they had as fans. All right, let's start here. Um, Nate Kreitzer, he says, uh, doesn't remember his first time, but real pain was Michigan losing to Michigan State in the 2015 Gift Six game where Michigan, Michigan's punter uh, fumbles the snap and Michigan State takes it to the house in the big house. Yes, that was a rough one to watch. Uh, Landry One says, as a kid, uh, I was an Oklahoma fan and he felt, or he said, I felt pain for the first time during the Fiesta Bowl loss to Boise State. Oof. I mean, that may have been the first time a group of five team defeated a power five and not only a power five, but a powerhouse of a power five um, on a, on a stage like that in the BCS bowl and a giant bowl like that. So yeah, that um, that'll do it. Um, Lindell D replied anytime Oklahoma state plays Oklahoma. Uh, Lindell is a pokes fan. Uh, God bless his heart. Cause for as good as a rivalry bedlam is, it's so one-sided with Oklahoma winning. And, you know, hopefully the Pokes yeah, get some get some wins in there before the Sooners bowl for the SEC for good. Uh, fellow branded blogger Eddie Silver says Clemson beating Ohio State in the playoff two years ago. Um, now, here's, here's my thing. Is it heartbreaking for Buckeyes fans? Absolutely. Um, they haven't won a national title in seven years. They see – Clemson and Alabama winning one after another, after another. So they feel like they are kind of the odd one out in the triangle of Clemson and Alabama and them. But realistically, 99% of college football fan bases would love for their program to be Ohio state. I mean, it's, it's great to reach for the stars and say, I want my program to be like Clemson and Oklahoma and Alabama, but it, it's just not realistic for most programs. So I don't know. I don't have a lot of um, sympathy for Ohio state fans, but I do kind of understand that they're getting a little antsy now because they're seeing Alabama and Clemson winning all these national titles and they're kind of the odd one out. They haven't won one in seven years. Um, Sean Bieski says, uh, Bush push 05. Uh, Notre Dame's lost to USC. Classic game um, from uh, – I knew a lot of Irish fans who were just totally, totally out of it after that one. Um, another Irish one, uh, our guy KMS from Branded also added Notre Dame's loss to Clemson in the hurricane in 2015. Um, both very solid answers. I have one. Uh, in our playoff that has to do with Notre Dame that I think is probably the most depressing, that I believe is the most depressing. Um, Brother Luke uh, says Penn State's lost to Michigan State in 2017. Three-hour rain delay. Uh, you have that with wind and ruined a perfect chance at the playoff. Listen, the Ohio they dropped that Ohio State game, uh, the game before, but Ohio State was a very good team. They had a comeback at the end to win in Columbus. Yeah, you you miss a perfect opportunity winning Columbus, but you had to take care of business against Michigan State, and it carried over. Uh, that was should have been uh, an easily won game, but uh, Penn State's offense couldn't get anything going, resulting in a loss, and would have resulted in Penn State going back to the Big Ten Championship, and on top of that, also um, the playoff. 
Let's see here. Um, oh, since we're talking about Penn State, uh, I have three different Penn State fans, Jeff Jaszewski, Kyle Cotts, my man Kyle, and uh, Commissioner Carr all say first time uh, they felt pain, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan, 2005. I – I have to agree with them on this. I think if you're a Penn State fan and you're between the ages of 27 and 32, 33, the first time you have felt pain is 05 at Michigan, undefeated. Um, you know, player catch – instant replay is a thing. It's very new at this point. And Michigan player catches a ball. His, his foot is – his one foot is totally on the line of the out-of-bounds. Should have been called back. Was not – that sets up for a last-second um, throw in the back of the end zone to Mario Manningham. Michigan wins. Penn State um, does not go to the national championship, goes to the Orange Bowl and wins that. But you have to think to yourself, if Penn State hangs on the win, not only do they win the Big Ten, well, they already won the Big Ten, but you know they would already have the, the Big Ten. They would be undefeated. And honestly – I think they would end up playing USC that year. I think Texas would be the odd team out there, and we wouldn't have gotten that hell of a game that Vince Young um, pulled off against USC. So I don't know. I think um, even though that is the first time um, I probably felt pain, I was in the stands for Penn State's uh, loss to Minnesota in 1999. Um Penn State was undefeated. I believe they were number one in the country, and they lost to Minnesota. They had an improbable catch to set up a field goal at the end of the game. Um, I, I I was disappointed they lost, but I don't think I fully grasped how important that game actually was. I mean, I still can remember uh, leaving the stadium, getting in the car, and my dad puts his hands on the steering wheel, just totally distraught, and looks to my mom and says, I still can't believe they lost that game. And just, just totally disheveled. And it was the first time I've ever seen my dad um, distraught like that after a a sporting event. Um, but I would say when the first time I truly felt it was 05. But I think the most depressing Penn State loss in the last 20 years actually came in 2008. Um, only team that was undefeated, if they would have beaten Iowa, okay, so they lose to this game, Iowa last second field goal. If they would have beaten Iowa, they would have gone to the national champ- championship without question. Uh, you know, they finally would have made it in the national title. And, you know, whatever happens, happens after that. But they don't go to the national title. They end up playing USC. They end up losing the to USC in the Rose Bowl pretty handily. I mean, I, I still think USC that year was probably the best team in the country with uh, led by Mark Sanchez, Pete Carroll. Uh, I think – uh, Raymond Luga was on that defense. I believe Cushing was a senior too. Um, th- that team was absolutely stacked. So I do believe Penn State um, probably would have, or they would have went to the national championship. And I don't, I'm not saying they would have won, but I think they would have at least made things a little bit interesting. And Penn State fans could actually say they were in the national championship. Um, okay. We're going to go – we're going to start our playoff here. Most depressing losses in the last 20, 20 years of college football. Um, an honorable mention I have is Wisconsin. Now, here's here's the thing. Try – not only did they lose on a last-second prayer to Michigan State with no time left, then they lost with – Ohio State throwing up a a crazy ball uh, and catching it with 20 seconds to go. A uh, receiver gets behind Wisconsin secondary. I think it was about a 45, 50-yard pass, and Wisconsin loses. Uh, back-to-back, back-to-back games. Um, both away in East Lansing and in Columbus, tough places to play. And, and it makes people think, you know, if Wisconsin would have won one of those games – especially the Ohio State one because they had the lead there. If they beat Ohio State, then they go to the Big Ten Championship, beat Michigan State. They avenge that loss against Michigan State. Now you're looking at Wisconsin go to the play for a national title. And 
not only do they play for a national title, they'll play LSU, who's undefeated, and Alabama with a loss is left out. And that's when Alabama's dynasty started. So if Wisconsin beats Ohio State or maybe they beat Michigan State in overtime, the Alabama the Alabama dynasty has to wait an, uh, another year because it'll be Wisconsin versus LSU. So that's my honorable mention there, uh, just because it was, it was two heartbreaking losses back-to-back for Wisconsin. And then especially when you look at it after time, thinking, man, they could have went to a national title. Uh, number four, Notre Dame gets the bricks beat off them by Alabama in the 2013 National Championship for the 2012 season. Um, Notre Dame undefeated, trying to knock off reigning national champion Alabama. And I know there's a lot going on with uh, Notre Dame with the Manti Teo situation and him being catfished. Did he embellish the catfishing to gain sympathy for himself when the the cat – the, the man playing the woman, uh, Leah Kakua, I believe. I think that was her name. Um, anyway, she ends up, uh, quote, you know, quote unquote, dying. And he, it, it became this big story. And then it was later she was fake that he was catfished. It was really bizarre. It, it, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of feel bad for Manti Teo. Uh, I, I mean, come on. I mean, the guy was catfished. And then he was asked about something. He just said, oh, yeah, like, like, you know, because he was dating her at the time, even though they never met. I know it's strange, but I don't know. That was just a weird situation. But anyway, um, Notre Dame in the 2013 National Championship. Uh, listen, they finally get there. They're one of the classic programs that just they're always there, but like they don't get the big talent that like some of these Southern states do. And they finally get there. Yeah. They're big underdogs because their schedule was a little soft, but Hey, you're finally there. You're going to do it. You know, anything can happen. And you just, from the opening kickoff, they just got the brick speed off them. 41, 14. I mean, that's gotta be demoralizing. And really we haven't seen, I mean, we haven't seen Notre Dame there since they have made playoff appearances, but have not won one yet. Hmm. Number three, we talked about Michigan before. This is my Michigan one. 2016, the game versus Ohio State. Just because of the implications behind this game and looking back, I think it gets worse with age. Because Michigan fans, they lose this game like, man, we lost this game. We're not going to the Big Ten Championship. Penn State's going to the Big Ten Championship, even though we beat them by 30 points um, in week four. Um we're not going to the playoff, but we're okay. Now, that was the best chance they had. J, so JT Barrett um, has a controversial first down call towards the end of the game. And then on top of it, the next play after, Curtis Samuel takes a sweep for a touchdown. Wolverines lose. This was the best opportunity the Wolverines had to knock off Ohio State. Not only that, in Columbus – um, and they they couldn't get it done. And they think, okay, hey, we're going to be back, and they have not reached that point yet. This was the best chance they had. And like I said, this was depressing at the time, but as time goes on, it gets worse for this fan base, I believe, because this was their, this was their shot, and they let it slip through their fingers. Oh, I got this one from uh, West Virginia fans. Um, this one was referred to by Kay Sears. Um, she just put uh, Pitt versus West Virginia, 2007. <sighs> December 1st, 2007, a day that will live in infamy for the West Virginia Mountaineers. The 100th meeting of the backyard brawl against arch rival Pitt. Pitt only has four wins on the year. West Virginia needs one more win, and they're going to the national – and most likely they will be going to the national championship to play the Ohio State Buckeyes. Earlier in the year, WVU did stumble on a Thursday night game to South Florida, but South Florida is a solid team. It was on the road. It was on a Thursday, short week. It's forgivable. This one was not. West Virginia was led by the electric Pat White, one of the best guys to watch in college football. Um. And here's the thing. West Virginia is a very good program. They're the 14th have they have the 14th most wins 
of any program in FBS. Um, but they have they haven't climbed that mountain of national champions. So they lose to Pitt. Uh, legendary human Pat McAfee ends up missing two kicks in a 13-9 loss. And I think what's even more strange is this West Virginia offense, which is high-powered, you know, fast NASCAR, you know, in your face. They're going to beat you with speed. Could not find the end zone. They could not find the end zone. Pitt played great. Ben don't break defense, which led to their demise. Salt in the wound after the game. West Virginia had a bunch of recruits there, and they were celebrating with Pitt, allegedly. Um, now, I think since then, I think West Virginia has been better than Pitt as a program. Um, and even after this, I mean, even uh, the bowl game, uh, West Virginia plays Oklahoma, beats them by over 20 points. And again, you kind of think to yourself, what would have happened if West Virginia would have played, if they would have played Ohio State? Could they have won? Could West Virginia could have, could West Virginia have won the national championship? And we'll never know. I honestly think they could have. They could have. Um, LS, I believe that year LSU ends up making the national title and they end up uh, beating Ohio State. So again, West Virginia would have went in over LSU. And again, Ohio State lost that game to LSU. Who's to say West Virginia doesn't knock them off? Um, my number one. Uh, I thought about this long and hard. I try to take my bias out of it. I think the most depressing loss for a fan base in the last 20 years is Georgia's overtime loss to Alabama in the national title. Just because how they lost. I mean, think of it, guys. You're Georgia. You're in the SEC. You're a very good program. Outside of Alabama, Georgia's probably the most consistent program. They are. LSU, kind of. I mean, LSU's up there, too. Florida's up there, too. But Georgia's, like, right there. You know, Auburn wins a national title, but then, you know, two years later, they only have, like, seven wins, eight wins. Georgia's consistently nine, ten wins every single year. Florida, same thing. They went they went through some rough times with uh, Will Muschamp. Um, you know, Dan Mullen has they he has them uh, on the right track, but even then, you know, they've had slip ups here and there. LSU had a rough one last year, won a national title under Coach O uh, with with Burrow at the helm, but again, kind of sometimes they're out of the top twenty five. Who was consistently in the top 25, not only that, consistently in the top 15 every single year, the Georgia Bulldogs. But unlike Florida, unlike LSU, unlike Auburn, and unlike Alabama, they don't have a national title to, to show for it or even go to a national – or even have been at a national title to show for it. So they finally get there. They jump out to a 13-0 lead. Bama then forces overtime. Okay, fine. Georgia gets a field goal, and then the first play, Tua is sacked for 16 yards. So now Georgia fans are thinking, oh, my, they are out of field goal range. Tua just took a sack. We might win this game after scoring only a field goal in overtime. And then I still believe to this day it was miscommunication. It looked like cover two to me that Georgia was running. And I don't understand why you would run regular cover two in that situation in second and, you know, 26. But it looks like that's what happened. Uh, Maybe a little communication error. Devonda Smith gets past the Georgia Georgia secondary, scores a touchdown game over Alabama, wins another national title. Georgia, I just feel like, that was it for Georgia fans. And I feel like Georgia fans thought, okay, we've finally, we've arrived. We're no longer in Alabama's shadow. We are no longer competing with Florida and um, LSU. We're going to get Bama. And they've let them off the hook. I think that is the most depressing loss for fan base because they were so close. They were there. And even in overtime, 
that first play of overtime, things are going their way. And there was that hope. There was that, oh, my, we're going to finally do this. And Tua to Devonta Smith and just crushes all their hopes and dreams. So there you have it. That is my list. Make sure you guys vote tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday on what you think is the most depressing loss for a fan base in the last 24 years of college, the last 20 years of college football. Um, And listen, I probably forgot someone. Let me know in the replies. um, Who did we miss? What was the most depressed? What do you guys think was the most depressing loss in college football? But here they are, the most depressing losses in college football in the last 20 years. Uh, Notre Dame getting throttled by Alabama in the national title. Michigan's loss in the game to Ohio State in 2016. West Virginia's loss in 2007 against Pitt. And number one, Georgia's loss to Alabama in the national title. Again, guys, tell me, who did I miss? Let me know in the replies and make sure you guys go and vote. And make sure you share them with your friends. All right. The last thing I'm going to talk about is I understand this is a college football podcast, but sometimes some topics transcend the sport that they're originally um, that they originate from. Um, so the Simone Biles news. Okay. And this is, I just, I really do want to keep this short. Um, if you've been living under a rock, Simone Biles backed out of the team competitions um, during the Olympics. She had a bad vault. She said she just wasn't she wasn't there mentally. On top of that, um, she had what some gym, gymnasts call the twisties. It's like a it's a neuro like a neuroscience condition that basically you lose where you are in the air. And it can be very dangerous. So Simone Biles backs out, says she wasn't there. And people are calling her a quitter. Uh, there's one political pundit that uh, said she's a shame to the country. And, and, and guys, this is all hoopla. It's all nonsense. Listen, I'm not saying uh, – listen. Like, I'm not saying, you know, you should be putting her on this pedestal. Oh, she's the greatest and this and that. And and by the way, she is the greatest gymnast, at least the United States has ever seen. Okay. It, without a doubt, she's the greatest. But she didn't have to come back this year. She only came back because she felt like she needed to and that the, you know, she was the last of the Larry Nasser victim. So she thought that if she were to participate, that could um, basically bring awareness to, you know, scumbag monsters like Larry Nasser. So she felt that it would be in the best interest of her sport and for other victims that she does compete. And she did, but, you add a multiple, multiple, multiple things in here of one carrying that weight of being a victim. Two, um, she could not take her ADHD medication because it's a banned substance, according to the Olympics. She was being judged unfairly because of the tricks that she was doing no one else they they haven't seen these tricks before so that the judges couldn't properly judge her so she tried to tone it back and this, again i'm not a gymnast i i don't want to i don't want you guys think i um am trying to be an expert on on a gymnast i'm not but I believe she probably tried to scale it back, tried to change things up in the vault because she knew she wasn't going to be judged properly. And I think she basically got the yips and that, you know, is kind of like what the twisties are. You know, you try to change things up and now you lose yourself in the air because she's not going hundred percent. So you add that to it. Um, and she backs out and she says, guys, I don't have it. I'm not here mentally. I have this neuroscience condition 
you know, the, the twisties. And I'm not being, you know, probably also think I'm not being judged properly. It's probably better if someone else tries to get the medal. And they end up getting silver, which is awesome. But this whole, she quit on her team. She's a selfish person. Um, you know, she's not a team player. That is such, that is malarkey is what it is. It's complete BS. You know, she, yes, she takes herself out. But you know what she's doing? She's cheering on her teammates. She's talking to her teammates. She's giving her teammates chalk, which if anyone has ever played football before, if you're a player, and again, if if you're a player that's like this, awesome, good for you. But <clears throat> what a lot of veteran Football players, they they don't grab the water. That's not their job. It's a kind of a thing that's kind of beneath them. You know, I feel like that's very similar to giving other gymnasts chalk. And there she is giving the gymnasts chalk, giving them water, giving them all these different things, cheering them on. She didn't sit down and pout. She encouraged her teammates. That's what leaders do. Okay. And and I I think what I'm trying to say. And again, I don't want to get on my soapbox too much. But what I'm trying to say is just have a little bit of empathy, okay? And and at the worst, if you're a person that says, listen, I wish she would have competed, but I understand what she's going through, that's all I want. And I think that's all what people want. You don't need to put her on this pedestal and be like, oh, my God, she's the GOAT. She's amazing. She's this and that. Look at her, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I I think she is, but – Honestly, if those people that say she's a quitter and she quit on a team would just shut up and just say, "Hey, I would have loved for her to compete, but I understand what she's saying, like what she's um, saying here." That's all. I think that's all people want. Man, scumbag Aubrey Huff is even like, "Hey, like I understand what she's going through. Like sometimes you got to do that." Like, and that guy's a total asshole, and he sees it. And again, all these people that are critiquing her are people that only care about gymnastics two hours every four years. I mean, that's the truth. Every gymnast, every Olympian has come in her defense. Michael Phelps says he understands exactly what she's talking about with the mental health issues. Because remember, Michael Phelps um, was suicidal at one point. And again, you're you train for something for four years. Do you really think Simone Biles, after four years of just killing her body, is you're gonna say, nah, I'm just gonna sit this one out? No, something had to be wrong there. You know, uh, not only that, but again, Michael Phelps had problems with suicide, and he unders he totally understand. And guess what? Where are all these people afterwards? If Simone Biles tries to push through and does a vault and messes up, not only is she going to hurt her team then because she messed up, but she also is going to hurt herself. All these gymnasts are saying they were 18 years old, pushing their bodies past the limits, and then they didn't get to see themselves at the next Olympics. So, and not only that, they have other problems with their bodies since then. So, again, all I'm asking is have a little bit of empathy. Not only for Simone Biles, but for other athletes as well. And again, gymnastics is a little bit different than other sports, okay? This isn't like a batter or a pitcher getting the yips, This isn't like a football player, you know, you know, a quarterback, you know, having uh, having uh, the fast feet or the, um, you know, crumbling under the pressure of the pocket or, you know, a hockey goalie that that isn't in the right mental space because he's not stopping pucks or a basketball player who has the yip shooting like Ben Simmons. No, if she messes up, she could break her neck. She could get severely hurt because the things she does in the air are unimaginable. We could never fathom 
99.99% of people in this world cannot fathom what she does. And if she is not in that right space, and if she has the twisties, and if she goes up and she loses herself in the air, it could be catastrophic. Other gymnasts are saying the same things. It's okay. And some of them say they wish that she or they would have done similar things in the past. All I'm saying, again, I've rambled for too long. Have a little bit of empathy. Not, And I understand a lot of these athletes make lots of money. I understand that. Okay? Everybody has problems. Money is money. And for most of us, most of our problems go away with money. But sometimes money brings more problems, as the Notorious Big used to say. Well, that is our show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, Again, be empathetic. Be a good person. Um, I love this, um, the community that we are creating with this podcast. Um, It seems like every day um, I'm getting uh, more followers. And again, we're building that community, guys. I absolutely love it. Guys, tell your friends. uh, Follow us on Instagram, um, Get Back Coach. Follow us on Twitter, at the GB Coach. Until next time, guys, have a great week.